Star Wars 7x7 episode 2620. The Story Smuggler's Run has a kind of a crazy wild history and we're going to explore it and one of the particular versions of it in this Spinner Sunday episode. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So, Smuggler's Run, not the ride at Galaxy's Edge, that's a whole different thing. There was actually a Smuggler's Run before there was a Smuggler's Run. This was a novel, a middle grade novel actually, that was published in 2015, written by Greg Rucka, and it was part of the Journey to the Force Awakens publishing initiative. Now, as a middle grade novel, you know, these things usually kind of come and go, and that's okay, but this one has done so much more. So there was an audiobook version of this released as well, which was narrated by Mark Thompson, who's, you know, one of the big names in Star Wars audiobook narration. So yeah, that's kind of notable. And then three years later in 2018, some folks decided to adapt it into a comic series in Germany. <laughs> in Germany. So there's a Star Wars official magazine in Germany and the Story of Smuggler's Run was broken up into four parts published across four issues of this. And apparently people thought, hey, yeah, we have this thing that exists already. Let's just translate it to English and go. And so in 2020, an English language version of Smuggler's run was released for you know comic book format in the US and it was sort of condensed so whereas the story was broken up into four parts in Germany it was published in two parts in the US and they decided to do a trade paperback as well. So they're like, yeah, we'll publish one issue and then the other issue, and then we'll just do an omnibus thing. And so that actually kind of puts Smuggler's Run on a par with the first of the new Thrawn novels, for example, because that one got a book and an audiobook, and it got a comic adaptation as well. Now, many, many years ago, we talked about the Princess Leia limited series that was released in Marvel Comics. It was one of the first of the limited series that came out from Marvel after they reacquired the license to do comics. And that series took place right after the events of A New Hope, so just after the destruction of the Death Star. Well, so does Smuggler's Run, and one of the things that Leia has Han and Chewie do before she ends up going off on her own adventure is sending them to try and find Caloan Emat, and I'm hoping to get the pronunciation of the first name right, but Emat is certainly correct. He was a lieutenant at the time, eventually at the time of the sequel trilogy. He's a major in The Force Awakens, and he's been promoted to a generalship in The Last Jedi. And if you don't remember who Emat is, then you know, thinking back to The Last Jedi and on Crate, you'll remember a guy walking out on the salt flats of Crate with a pair of binoculars to stand and look out for the approaching First Order that was right before Salty and the guy in the trenches like touched the ground and put it on his tongue and said, mmm, Salt, and Gareth Edwards cameoing as another resistance trooper looked at him like he was crazy. But Emat is the guy we're talking about. The long white-haired, the white Oh gosh, I'm just getting myself all twisted. You know, he's got you know crazy long white hair and you know very 
awesome face seasoned look it's like really cool and the point is is that smuggler's run is really about him in a sense because he has been ambushed by the imperial security bureau he and a group of people he's working with he's the leader of something called the shrikes and they are advanced scouts for the rebellion they're not only looking for new bases but they're looking for the bases after the bases and they're also setting up caches of supplies whether it's weapons or medicine or food like he's responsible for that and he's one of the few people who has an encyclopedic knowledge of all of these rebellion storehouses and potential bases so he's on the run and Leia convinces Chewie more than anything to go after Emat, who was a lieutenant at the time and Han is just kind of along for the ride and there's a great thing where as they go through the story we discover that Anytime somebody is asking for help from Han and Chewie and you know getting it in some fashion or getting an agreement to do it in some fashion, it's because they trust Chewbacca to follow through on this, not because they trust Han to follow through on this. Now, at the time, they've also received their reward for helping with the destruction of the Death Star. So they're, in theory, heading to pay off Jabba's debts. And Chewie convinces Han that Cychron, the planet where... Um, uh, where Emat should be holding up and hoping to be rescued is right along the way, although it's also right on the border of Hut space, which means that not only are they potentially in danger from the Imperials, but also from the Huts and from bounty hunters who naturally show up and cause problems. Oh, and I should also mention, because this is a little fun tie-in thing, that the place where Emat and his fellow Shrikes were ambushed was on Tanab. Yes, as in Lando saying, someone must have told them about my little maneuver at the Battle of Tanab. That Tanab, right? And of course, because, you know, you've probably seen the movies of the sequel trilogy, you will easily guess that Han and Chewie pull off this rescue and get Emat to safety, but... <laughs> to do so, they actually end up taking what almost appears to be a suicide run because, you know, that's what Han and Chewie do, like free-falling their ship into the atmosphere of Cycron, which is completely toxic and polluted, and to possibly capture them, Alicia Beck, who is the commander with the Imperial Security Bureau, has to you make a couple of very rash decisions and eventually backs off on one of them. And it's kind of interesting to see where the line happens because she demonstrates her ruthlessness with the people down on Cycron, and particularly this town of Motok, which is, I guess, the capital city, the main drag, where she goes into a bar and says, you know, tell me, you know, who's seen this guy with a hollow of Emat and and, you know everything will be fine but if nobody tells me then I'll kill everyone in here so she's already establishing a reputation for herself as you know a really awful person and the one person who saw Emat but then didn't report it ends up getting shot for his or her trouble and later on when Han and a friend of his who sort of helped out but sort of betrayed him but under duress um, when they're trying to escape like he's trying to provide cover for her but as the uh, Star Destroyer is closing in the vehement in this particular case, Beck is saying, yeah, I want tractor beams on those ships. And the Imperial crew on there, and you get to see sort of the difference between the Security Bureau and the Imperial Navy. They're saying, um, we have TIE fighters out there engaged in battle with these ships. And Beck is like, I don't care. And they're like, well, these are our pilots. And Beck is like, um, 
you keep stating the obvious. I told you to hit them with the tractor beams, hit them with the tractor beams. And she's saying this even though it's going to destroy the TIE fighters and presumably kill the pilots of those fighters. And so she says, you know, if you don't do it, then you'll be arrested for dereliction of duty to the uh, captain of the ship. And the captain says, all right, do it. So, yeah, that's, you know, fascinating to see the dynamic between the Bureau and the Imperial Navy. But where she draws the line is when the ship, when the Falcon specifically, is going into the atmosphere. And Becca's saying, yeah, follow him into the atmosphere and get a tractor beam on him. And this is where the line goes. The captain says, uh, if we don't have a precise lock on the ship, then the beam is going to splash and it's going to create massive destruction on the planet. It would take the magnetic field down, protecting all the citizens of Motok from the toxic fumes and atmosphere of Cycron. And she thinks to herself, well, you know, we're going to kill millions and the people who survive are going to, you know, tell everyone what they saw. And some of them might become radicalized and become rebels and we can't have that happen. So we're going to let the rebels escape so that way we don't create, you know, an even bigger disaster situation and possibly create more people motivated to become rebels. Now, maybe just because she's, you know, one ISB commander and, you know, using one Star Destroyer instead of, say, for example, running the Death Star over Jeddah, like she doesn't necessarily have the juice maybe to say that you know, something was an accident, like <laughs> like Vader says, oh yeah, it's going to be considered a mining accident on Jeddah, and nothing happened with a Death Star, and the Death Star isn't even a thing, and you never even heard me say that, you know? Like, she's not going to be able to pull off that kind of you know, cover-up, basically. But not being able to cover it up wasn't her rationale. I mean, it was just that she didn't want to create more rebels and create a situation that could cause more rebels, which ultimately seems like it's more about her and her own reputation <laughs> than anything else. And that's basically the story of Smuggler's Run with the important points that in those early days, right after the destruction of the Death Star, it's really Chewbacca who was like, yeah, I'm pumped to be a part of this rebellion. I want to continue to be part of this rebellion and dragging Han Solo along for the ride. And it's also an important introduction to the character of Emat, even though we don't get very much from him at all in the sequel trilogy, unfortunately. But then again, you know, we didn't get a heck of a lot from, say, Dodonna or Raikian in Star Wars and Empire. So, you know, yeah, I guess that's just, you know, how it goes sometimes and what you have time to tell in the movie situations and being able to fill out the backstories. So as far as we know, too, also Emat is still alive. Like he was in concept art, apparently, for the Rise of Skywalker, but just did not appear in the movie. But there's no indication that he died on Crate. Like he seems to have survived that, which is very cool to know. And that's what I've got for you for the episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always. And may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and/or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited. Other respective trademark and copyright holders may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.